I hope that it's obvious that in imaginal practice we're really talking about mindfulness of images, bringing mindfulness to bear on images and uh, everything associated with those images or rather certain aspects of experience associated with those images. Uh, We're not talking about daydreaming, about being lost in fantasy, about not being present, etc. So I hope that's obvious, but sometimes I uh, find that it isn't obvious to to some people. And partly that's just because, as I mentioned in the opening, we're so used, this culture is so used to regarding images a certain way. And also, sometimes, some people are very used to having quite a narrow range of uh, view of what uh, meditation is and what practice is, what it means to be present, etc. Um, so hopefully it's obvious. We're really talking about mindfulness of images or mindfulness with images. So that means, what we want to explore now, what's included, incorporated into that mindfulness in the imaginal practice. So, for instance, um, what we're talking about is steadily attending to an image, holding an image in attention, rather than flitting from one image to another the way uh, the mind does and the attention does when we are lost in daydreaming and not really not really present. So as much as possible, just as with the breath or something like that, we're steadily attending to holding in the attention an image. And when the mind gets distracted, we notice that, just as with uh, other practices, and we return, return to the image. Um, uh, gently, you know, don't have to force this, don't have to get too tight, just as with working skillfully with the breath or the metta practice. As we are holding an image and attending to it in this way, in this more steady way, it might want to evolve. The image might um, morph or change its form or something else might be added to the image, some other character or something like that. So we let it evolve if it wants, but the attention is really on on this image, which either stays relatively the same or evolves in, in some way or other. So... And with all this, there's um, a lot of mindfulness. Actually, it's quite—it's asking quite a, a lot of our mindfulness. There's mindfulness of the body, and particularly, as we said, of the energy body. So we've really put a lot of emphasis on that. There's mindfulness of the image. Um, and there's mindfulness that it is an image. Knowing image as image, as I keep uh, emphasizing the mindfulness of the body, of the image, knowing that it is an image. There's mindfulness of our reactions and our responses and what happens, so to speak, in response to this image or with this image. So the thoughts that um, arise in response or reaction to the image, the views of the image uh, or in response to the image, Sometimes they'll be very explicit. We notice that the mind is thinking or viewing in a certain way, and oftentimes it's more implicit. So even this awareness of the implicit view of the image and what the image is or what it might mean, etc., or what it's worth, all this, um, even that is included in our mindfulness. 
to mindfulness of view in relation to the image, noticing the associations we might have with something in our life or events or trajectories or meaningfulnesses in our life. Really, uh, a sensitivity is required here with the mindfulness. Sensitivity um, to the uh, resonances of energy, of emotion, to the qualities um, involved in the image and, and attending to it, opening and tuning to those qualities perhaps, to those energies, to those emotions. Sensitive to the Vedana, the, the pleasantness or unpleasantness, or neither pleasantness nor unpleasantness, sort of so-called neutrality. So we're aware of all this, sensitive to all that. How is the self-sense uh, in relation to this image, or how is the self-sense right now while I'm attending to this image? This, all this is part of the mindfulness and part of the sensitivity. So it's very different than uh, daydreaming or being lost. So we could say we're attending, we're tuning, and we're opening to the imaginal through the mindfulness. Attending, tuning, and opening. So let's break that down a little bit more and elaborate a little bit more. Here's another list of seven of what's uh, a seven-point list. A little bit just to give you a sense. Some of it's very intuitive and obvious anyway, and some of it may not be. Um, but to give you, uh, to fill out the sense of what's really involved in this practice in terms of nuts and bolts. So the first one is, and we've touched on this before, how do I sense the image right now? In other words, uh, like we said, what is the primary sense modality? Not to elevate necessarily the visual sense. It could be auditory, the aural. It could be the body sense, more kinesthetic. It could be even taste. So plenty of times something as strange as taste is a kind of knowing um, through the taste or, or an imaginal taste pregnant with all kinds of resonances. So how do we sense the image? This is part of, um, part of the attending, part of um, recognizing. How, how, how do we sense this image? Um, and as, as I mentioned in one of the talks, maybe it's a, a more intuitive sense. It's not really one of the five inner senses or the, the inner correspondences of the sight sounds. <clears throat> smell, taste, touch. Maybe it's more intuitive and not so much of the five senses. So really important to be um, flexible here rather than just to get stuck in one modality, one sense modality. How do we sense the image? And then trust that. Tune to whichever way of sensing the image, whichever sense or without the senses is the most helpful um, to tune into into, uh, with regard to this particular image that's going on right now. So that's the first on this list. And the second is, again, a bit of a question that you can lightly ask. It's like, does the image want to fill out at all? Um, for instance, here's an imaginal figure right now coming to me. Where is this imaginal figure? What are the surroundings like? Uh, what's the imaginal territory, so to speak, that they are uh, arising in? Uh, are there any other imaginal figures around, or they, are they alone? So really, sometimes the image uh, 
wants to fill out a, a little bit, and sometimes uh, not so much. So, but just lightly the question, giving it a chance to fill out, asking asking certain questions about territory and whether there are others there. And the third uh, um, <clears throat> instruction, really, or aspect of dimension of um, attending, tuning, opening is, is, is it possible to get, um, so to speak, a sense of this imaginal figure or imaginal object? A sense, so to speak, of its character, their character. Um, so, for example, um, I remember, I don't know when it was, maybe, maybe almost two years ago, I'm not sure, um, but it was a I think a spring day, and I was invited to. Um, I was invited to Totnes to meet two uh, two people, two women I, I, I didn't know at all, uh, to do an interview, and um, I actually didn't want to go. Uh, to be honest, I was too busy. <laughs> I felt too busy, and I didn't want to go. But I, I went anyway, and we we did. Um, some filming of each other, sort of a two two way interview, and uh, outside, and uh, by the river, and it was absolutely delightful. There was something about the interaction that was really, um, really a lot of fun and very lovely and very inspiring as well. Listening to this uh, woman speak, and also when I I spoke, I felt a lot of um, uh, inspiration flowing through. And then the next day, uh, and that sense of inspiration carried on, and the next day, um, in, in the morning meditation, um, the same scene, the scene um, outside by the river and sitting on the bench with these two women and uh, even the other people around, the same scene arose in, in the imagination, all the sunlight and, and the loveliness there. But in the background of the imaginal scene was um, the, came very spontaneously the, the presence of a sort of angelic figure had a body of golden white light. It had a masculine kind of presence, but his features were not clear, not at all visually clear. What was um, quite precise, though, was his if you like, the particular quality or flavor or resonance of his presence. That was somehow very clear and very defined. It was very, very particular, even though visually it wasn't that clear. And that quality of presence, or the flavor of, of his presence, it may be very hard to put into words. I, I would struggle. Though there was something um, about joy very much and about love that was there. But even the quality of love was not obvious. It wasn't the first thing or aspect that one was struck by. Uh, but there was something all-encompassing and delightful and bright in there. And somehow the presence of this angelic figure in, in the imaginal sort of memory afterwards and spontaneous image that came, somehow his presence was somehow very connected to uh, and, and in a way responsible for uh, what I said or or the spirit that, that seemed to imbue uh, how I responded to the questions that were being asked to me. And at the same time, this uh, angelic figure was also pervading the, the two women who, who 
we were with doing these interviews um, and pervading our delight and pervading the enjoyment of each other and uh, and even the scene itself. So his presence was pervading the grass, the bench, the trees, the river, the sunlight. It wasn't separate from all that. And and with in in the sense of the image, as I dwelt with it more and more, everything became luminous. That pervasion of of this beautiful light and joy and love pervaded the whole scene. And there was a kind of transubstantiation, if 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 we borrow that word from actually the Catholic tradition, transubstantiation of the whole, all the elements of the scene, all the material and psychic elements of the scene. It's different than transfiguration, where actually something changes uh, what it is or changes its shape. Everything retained its same form, but its substance was different. Uh, The whole world and the beings that were there. And in the imaginal practice, um, I noticed... uh, little bit of a tendency to want, oh, let's talk to him, let's um, learn something from him. Um, but but I could sense, oh, that's not quite right. Uh, just focusing on this figure and his presence and the pervasion and the resonances there, and that felt really right somehow, really, really wonderful and, and joyful and beautiful uh, with, with that. So with this third... Um, third aspect of, of, of what we can check out with images is sensing into the character of the figure uh, not uh, um, the resonances of, of that figure um, uh, and, and the character of the figure and especially if there's any complexity of character um, so for example in this one um, with the example I just gave, the love was there, but it wasn't the most obvious thing. But when you noticed it, then you realize, oh, there's a, um, a profound and pervasive love here. It wasn't obvious at first. Sometimes you might get images where the imaginal figure is actually seems quite crusty and uh, kind of uh, not very loving at all. One might think even the opposite. But there's, there's a complexity of character <clears throat> to many imaginal figures. So one might see, for example, that here's a kind of crustiness, but underneath or with that or looking more closely, there's great love. Great love is there, but it's not obvious. So with all this, or another aspect of that, is, is really the instruction to be sensitive to the nuances of character of, of an image. Not, as we mentioned before, just, oh, that's the wonder archetype, and just stick a label on and kind of lose the sensitivity, lose the attention and the curiosity and the openness to the, the more subtle um, manifestations of character and resonance. So really, um, uh, really... Uh, encouraging the sensitivity. And this third uh, dimension of of the practice, we could actually um, broaden it to say not just what is the the sense of this character, but let's broaden that to, again, ask ask lightly a question in the imaginal practice. What is the specificity that is important in this image or to this image? What is the specificity that is important in this image? I'll give you another example. In other words, what 
what is it that I want to be really tuning into here that's important about the image and, and, and important to really tune into th that, specifics, uh, that specific aspect with, with a lot of attention and differentiation and nuance and detail, etc. Different images have different aspects of them that are uh, what is most important, if you like. <clears throat> so... Um, for example, uh, once, actually uh, quite a few times, um, sometimes I, I might be meditating, for example, and there's a sense, it's, if you like, an imaginal sense that comes of the bird song that I can hear. Perhaps I'm outside or perhaps I can hear it through the window. And the bird song uh, is, let's say, heard or through the imaginal lens imagined as sacred text. The bird song in this moment that I'm perceiving is perceived as, as somehow as a sacred text. Now, partly saying that, I'm aware, I'm just thinking, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, that's what I want to explain, that the vagueness in some ways is part of it. Now, I may well have read something about sacred text or, or something in this tradition or that tradition beforehand. And so there's a kind of um, suggestibility there of the psyche that's open to certain suggestions that then have fruition in, in, in images. No problem at all. No problem um, uh, if that's the case or you recognize that that's probably the case and then think, oh, but that's probably because I read this thing or I heard so-and-so say something. No problem. Again, the psyche is creative. It's how, how it works, how it takes in um, something from its environment and then creates something or allows uh, an imaginal sense of something. So there was a recognition that was possibly connected to things I had read um, in the not-too-distant past. Um, and there was a sense of samadhi with it. and But more... More important, there was a, a depth and a beauty to this sense, listening to the bird song and the whole bodily sense, and, and a sort of inexhaustible depth and beauty to this um, this particular, uh, if you like, imaginal window or imaginal, imaginally mediated hearing opening to the bird song as sacred text. What was very specific, and this is what I want to get at, what was what was the specificity that was important in this image? Uh, one aspect of that was very specific resonances uh, emotionally um, to, to that whole sense of the birdsong of sacred text. And more important, it was a very specific um, way of seeing of knowing the world, the world that opened up at that point, um, the world outside my window, the world that I was in had very particular kind of resonances and um, feeling tone and sort of sense of, of its depth, particular kinds of that and, and its beauty. Now I may not have, certainly may not have been able to articulate that, it would be very, very difficult to put that into words. Um, so, but it was really th those aspects, the world quality, the resonances, the, the kind of beauty, the kind of depth, they were very, very um, specific and precise and beautiful, difficult as they were to describe. Other aspects of the image, or that whole 
opening were um, really, it, it did not seem important that they were uh, specifically um, tuned into. Those specifics were not so important. So, for example, the exact relationship of this bird song and the text, uh, what do you mean, certain pitches or sounds? No, it, it didn't matter exactly. Um, uh, the relation of the bird song and the text and the body and the energy body and n nature itself, the exact relationships there were not important. Um, probably, in fact, almost certainly, they wouldn't have made sense in a, in a tight rational framework. And in a way, they, they were not clear, they were not um, defined, they were more vague. Was this text a Sanskrit text or a Pali text or a, I don't know, Aramaic text or a Hebrew text? It didn't matter. It was something, and I'll, I'll return to this uh, later, something actually needed to be a little vague and open and not so defined in this image. And other aspects, um, their specificity was very important. The tradition, what tradition are we talking about in this sacred text belonging to what tradition? It was not important did not matter. So the, the question here gently is um, to tune into, see if you can get a feel with any image. Again, what is the specificity that is important in this image, whatever it is? So that's the third, uh, the third <coughs> thread or, or question or aspect um, of instruction sense of this figure, it's, uh, or this imaginal object, it's his, her character, it's character, and also the specificity that is important in this image. What is the specificity, particular to this image, that's most important? Okay, so the fourth aspect, or the fourth um, encouragement within this mindfulness of image uh, and attending and tuning and opening um, is, is around uh, the emotional resonances and the resonances in the energy body that an image um, sets up or, or that occur with, with an image. Emotional resonances and energy body resonances. There's quite a lot to say about this. In a way, we could say there's two extremes regarding these um, energetic and emotional resonances. On one extreme, in, in, possible in practice, on one extreme, it's possible to exclusively tune into and focus on um, the sense data of an image. In other words, really um, look at the particularities or the, the specific, very fine detail of a visual image or, or this or that. We're really just tuning to the sense data of the image and focusing on that and concentrating on that and trying to get it as clear and precise and uh, as, as possible. Here, on this retreat, we are not going to that extreme. So we are, just for our purposes, I'm not so interested in that kind of way of tuning to images. It's fine and it's valid, etc. But that's not so much uh, what I'm going to um, emphasize at all. So that's an extreme that we're not that interested in. We're always um, uh, connecting with the emotional uh, resonances and the energy body resonances. So there's never an exclusive tuning in to the detail, the sensual 
detail of an image at the exclusion of the emotional awareness of emotional sensitivity to emotional and energetic body resonances. Okay? Um, another extreme, or the other extreme, might be here's an image and um, the emotion that arises with this image or the energy in the energy body that arises or both the, mi the mixture of, of that um, is something that we focus on exclusively. So here's this image and perhaps um, is bringing, I don't know, a lot of love or a lot of joy or a certain quality and let's say softening in the energy body. And one extreme is to um, almost tune more and more into that emotion or that energy in the energy body, that quality, and just give, go towards give, giving exclusive attention to the emotion as emotion or the energy as energy and letting the um, image go a little bit. Doing that will um, take us deeper in, into the samadhi direction. The samadhi will, will constellate more and more and uh, or, or the quietening of the emotional body, um, as we talked about in in one of the instructions a few days ago. Uh, so that's an option. That extreme is an option on this retreat, and it's it's really fine. It's a choice. It's a kind of leaning, a kind of steering at times, where one recognizes so uh, something. Um, uh, is is happening perhaps quite strong or subtle. We just we just make the choice to, to to go into more exclusively the emotion or the energy, and that can take us in a slightly different direction as we let the image go. So that's possible. But oftentimes, what we'll be doing is something in between, um, focusing on the image but aware really of the emotional resonances and the, certainly the energy resonances in the energy body and the way that feels. And as I said, this is really important in imaginal practice because this um, sen ongoing sensitivity to the emotional and energy body resonances help us to navigate. So there's, a, there's quite a lot to say about this. Um, and actually here's another list of seven uh, <clears throat> possibilities. Uh, so this list of seven embodied in the larger list of seven. So partly this sensitivity to um, emotional and energetic resonances in the energy body help us to recognize when an image is, uh, let's say, right. If this image is right, and I mean right in the sense of it um, nourishes and deepens and opens and supports soulfulness and soul making. Uh, and I'll actually talk about much more fully what I mean by soulfulness and soul making. But that, in, in, in the framework of the direction that I would like to most support, um, that's what constitutes the rightness of an image, the soulfulness and the soul making. One of the ways we recognize that an image is right and moving in that direction is through its effects on the energy body. The energy body, uh, as I'll outline right now, it tells us almost this this image is helpful for soul making. There's something important here for the psyche. So um, a number of things to look out for in, in this respect. Um, it, th those effects that tell us that the image is right, so to speak, they may include one or more of, of the following. Now these are not separate uh, possibilities. But the first is a kind of alignment 
of the vertical axis, the energy um, of the vertical axis through through the body, through the energy body. It feels uh, more aligned. There's a sense of something come, the energy coming into into that vertical alignment within the energy body. So that's a signal, um, if you like. It can be very subtle. Um, it's a signal that we're on the right track. The energy body is telling us we're on the right track here with whatever image is happening. When that alignment of the vertical axis in the energy body is very strong, um, it tends towards also um, the kind of emotions of reverence, of devotion, of prayerfulness. Uh, so that's also connected here. When it's very strong, those emotions are often uh, not far away at all. But this alignment, felt alignment of the vertical axis in the energy body is, is, is one of the sort of cues and clues, if you like, that we're on the right track. A second is just the um, sense that the energy body kind of opens and expands a little bit. Uh, that sense of sort of the expansion of energy, the widening of energy, uh, is also very characteristic as a cue and a clue that we're on the right track. Third can be a kind of softening of the energy body. Um, so I don't... I certainly don't just mean a relaxing of, of the physical musculature. I mean, that, that may happen. But again, I'm, I'm really talking about energy body rather more than anatomical body. And the texture, if you like, or the tone of that energy body um, can um, soften to, to one degree or, or another. It doesn't mean a slumping. There's still the uprightness there. But the softness, uh, the, the texture feels like it's got more softness in it. Something, um, yeah, softens. And this can be very, very subtle or, or stronger, but it can be very, very subtle. A fourth uh, is, is, generally speaking, the energizing of the energy body. Um, when, when, when an image is, again, so to speak, right for the psyche, for the soul, the, the, the energy body will feel energized very often. Now that energization can be, um, again, very, very subtle or very, very strong. Um, there's a whole range there of possibility, and it's not one is uh, better or worse or, or whatever, stronger is better, or it's just a range there. But energization is often a key uh, aspect of what happens in the energy body when an image is, is you know, important, let's say. So with the energization, this, this can, um, this energization uh, can bring or reflect, it can bring or reflect a feeling of power, vitality, force into, into the whole being, into the uh, energy body, but into the whole psyche as well brings or reflects a feeling of, of power, of vitality, of force. And that may fill the energy and, and, and that whole movement may, may, it may, it doesn't have to, but it may fill the whole energy body. It may wave through. It may sometimes erupt very suddenly um, in the energy body and through even into the physical body so that sometimes one finds the head moving or moving back, tilting upwards, uh, a shudder move through the body. Sometimes the mouth opens by itself spontaneously and it's almost as if a silent roar comes out at times. Now, 
These kind of things are absolutely not necessary. So again, don't regard them as sort of, oh, that's super advanced, or that's better practice. I'm just mentioning them so that uh, in a way one is not freaked out or alarmed or uh, disturbed by their occurrence. They're absolutely not necessary though. Just to say that's uh, w one of the aspects that can happen is energization. Sometimes it's strong and sometimes that um, waves or erupts through the physical body to the extent for a moment or two um, that, that it affects the physical body in different ways. But it's absolutely not necessary that that happens. So it may or may not. Neither better nor worse. But the fourth uh, possibility to look out for is this energizing and to notice and to feel. And the fifth, these are all, as I said, not totally separate, they're related, but uh, it's worth differentiating them. The fifth is um, that there's some degree of increase in, in the sense of well-being in the energy body. Um, or even bliss. And again, this, this can be very, very strong um, or really quite subtle, not that remarkable, but there is some degree of an increase in well-being and bliss that's often characteristic of an image, um, as I said, being right or, or uh, soulful. Um, so it could be, could be very, very subtle. But what we're doing here is really trusting the energy body rather than the mind's initial sort of um, mental reaction or view or thought that might be actually a little bit too tight about what's a right image or a wrong image or what kind of image I need or uh, what's okay and what's not okay and what's weird and what's not. We're actually trusting more the energy body and, and the manifestations in the energy body, the cues and the clues there, we're trusting that for the navigation more than uh, the, the mind and its views, which are often just received and habituated uh, from different cultures that we move in. Uh, the sixth is um, a possibility through the energy body, something to look out for, notice and feel, is a kind of harmonization and a homogenization of, of the whole energy field, the whole energy space of, of the energy body. Harmonization, it feels more harmonized and it feels more homogenized. So the energy feels like it's spread more evenly through the energy body, oftentimes, or can do. But also uh, that includes a homogenization of the awareness through the space of the energy body. In other words, so often, perhaps it's our culture, perhaps it's just normal, it's very common to feel like the awareness is somehow in the head, looking at the body, or sometimes that they're even separate, Or, but there's this sort of, um, the awareness is located here, and the body is more than that somehow. But one, one thing that's characteristic here, possibility, is this harmonization, homogenization of the energy, but also of the awareness through the space of the energy body. So that generally speaking, the body and the awareness um, are less fragmented, and also the connection between them um, is, feels then less disjointed, less fragmented. Okay, and a sixth possibility that I think is um, maybe more common for some people or some people with, with certain backgrounds in practice, let's say, um, is the contoured energy body. 
uh, can be felt. So remember we talked briefly about that um, earlier in the retreat. It's not so much this amorphous space right now, but one might also uh, feel um, and sometimes even see or feel uh, an energy body um, separate in space, distinct in space from the physical location of one sitting on the cushion or the chair meditating. And that contoured energy body, this body of light or energy is felt, actually felt, not just seen, this is important, um, felt as perhaps dancing or flying or somersaulting um, with or in response to, let's say, this image that is occurring. So this image, this imaginal figure is um, opening up so much energy and, and such a... Um, uh, what would be the word? Inspiration of emotion, etc. That the contoured energy body becomes, we become aware of that, and it's felt, as I said, as dancing, flying, somersaulting, or all kinds of possibilities, um, in a distinct um, location from the location of the physical body. Um, separate from the physical body, but absolutely crucial. It's felt, it's felt, it's felt. So sometimes either hearing about that or experiencing something like that, people get a little nervous and think, well, am I disconnecting? Am I um, uh, disconnected from my body? Am I ungrounded? And they get a little um, suspicious or nervous even. Um, but no, it's absolutely not disconnected, that kind of experience. It's not ungrounded as long as we feel it. So it's a strange thing. It's almost like feeling um, two energy bodies at once or a mixture. There's this one sitting here, and in, in this energy body, I somehow feel this contoured energy body, um, as I said, flying or turning somersaults or dancing or whatever it is. It's not ungrounded. It's not disconnected as long as it's felt. So there's seven uh, possible uh, manifestations to look out for without needing to make a big deal of any of them or, or uh, judging, oh, this is good and that's bad, that's better, that's worse, any, any of that. Um, think Things to look out for. And with any of these, any of those possibilities um, may bring with them, or rather imp so often implicit in, in them, is that the energy body... Uh, uh, at that time, then, has within it, one can feel very specific uh, qualities, if you like, of emotion or energy, or if we want to say frequencies, frequencies of energy, if we use that uh, term, are present within the energy body. I may not have a word, again, I may not have a word for this particular quality of energy or this particular frequency, but any of these kind of... Um, uh, of, of that, those seven possibilities I just went through. They, they can sometimes imply that or it's noticeable. And then really important to notice, what is, can I really feel, can I really taste this, this very specific quality or frequency of energies or mix of qualities or energies? Really no, make sure we notice, really taste and feel open to it, perhaps. Let it pervade the whole space, perhaps. Um, bathe in it, focus on it, in, enjoy it, as we mentioned before. So um, attuning to those energetic qualities, lingering in them, dwelling with them, um, entering into them, opening to them, all that, to the degree that we lean into that, 
um, lingering and dwelling and entering into them. To the degree that we lean that way and incline that way, will, as as we've already mentioned, give allow us to enter more and more into the samadhi. So you can see there's a kind of very fluid navigation here um, in terms of image and energy and where we incline the whole consciousness and energy at any time. But what's, what's absolutely crucial to the navigation is the noticing of what's happening in the energy body and then we can decide um, where, we, where we incline and sort of glide with the consciousness and the whole energy body. Suppose I, there's one one thing I should maybe maybe um, also mention right now. Generally speaking, all this is much much easier in a meditative posture, as we emphasized at the beginning, with the uprightness uh, and the awakeness manifesting in the physical body, body um, with the openness and receptivity and softness there. And so the meditative posture really allows both the, the um, sensitivity of mindfulness to the images, but, but especially even more, the sensitivity of mindfulness in, in, in relationship to the energy body and working with the energy body. So generally that's um, a really good idea in the kind of work that we're doing and emphasizing on this, on this course. But sometimes uh, one will find, occasionally one finds that it's not. Um, that posture is not right for this image. So not too long ago, someone was telling me they were um, working with an image. Actually, it was an image that had been around quite a lot of a bird that had uh, this image had opened up for them. And, and there was a lot of beauty and uh, preciousness associated with this, this beautiful image of, of, of a bird. And there were... Uh, the kind of corresponding, some of the corresponding mean, meaningfulnesses in the, in the life with that were very important in terms of openness and sensitivity and beauty uh, and lots of other things. And then um, something happened actually in life and then that was mirrored in the image and this bird then uh, was perceived as having a broken wing and as 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 dying from this injury. And so I was talking with this person in, in an interview about this and pointing out this timeless quality of images. So I said, it, this bird is going to die, it will die. Um, and then we put that into very normally, very understandably into a temporal context. It's not dead now, but it's dying, and then it will die, and then it will be dead, and then what? I'll be without this bird, or this will have disappeared, or whatever it is. But actually, there's a timeless quality to images that we can tune into. I might say more about this later on. So in a, in a, word, in a way, the, the bird is dying rather than, go, it, rather than it will die at some point. It's always timelessly in the state that it's in now, wounded with a broken wing. That's not going anywhere as a narrative. So that helped enormously. Just It's almost like feeling into that image at another level outside of time and really, really um, crucial. The person was working with the image then after we had that conversation and then um, in, in, in the meditation and then noticed actually it's working a little bit, but there's something wrong here. And they were playing with different postures. And then they actually found when they, uh, when they went to their room, 
and lay down on their bed and curled around, curled their body lying down around this bird, this wounded bird. That, they said, that, that's the perfect image, right? That's the perfect posture, rather, for the image right there. Um, actually, just to continue a little bit, because there's some other important uh, learnings here. So, uh, not only was the, in this case, this is rare, but not only in the, was it in the case that in this in this instance, the meditative posture was not quite right. Um, but also then they noticed that they're lying up curled, their body curled around this wounded bird, bird with the wounded wing, the broken wing. And then they noticed, as they were meditating in that way, bringing all the sensitivity, they noticed that they were scared to look into the bird's eyes, into this little bird's eyes, scared to see the suffering that they anticipated seeing there. But she brought herself to uh, look into the bird's eyes and then, very surprised, seeing the, the love that was there in the bird's eyes. These bird's eyes were radiating love, um, wide open, the love was wide and it was steady. And this was uh, very surprising given the, the fear of actually doing that and what she anticipated seeing. And oftentimes, uh, this is part of the autonomy or recognizing that images have, they are autonomous. They're not just um, necessary, so to speak, parts of us or we control them um, as much as we might think. We're often so many times surprised by these imaginal figures. It doesn't mean they're completely independent of us, remember, and independent of the way of looking, but they have a certain autonomy. Okay, but the main point there was really about the, the posture. Usually the meditative posture is, is the best, but to be sensitive and open, open-minded there. Okay, so those were all, um, as I said, possible cues and clues, signals that, the, the, that we're on the right track. This image is right, despite it might seem weird or whatever. Um, coming through the energy body, through the manifestations in the energy body. Now, I'm aware that that, uh, that might reflect uh, my bias or my uh, inclination because I'm, uh, my modality is more kinesthetic than visual, for instance. Um, so I'm certainly open to other, other cues or signals that a person might receive. Um, sometimes people get a light, a light that appears that tells them uh, that they're on the right track with an image. So there are many possibilities, but this, to me, as I said before, this inclusion and um, thread or keeping as a basis the energy body allows so much other possibility in meditation. So if, um, if that can be incorporated, it's really, really important and helpful. And it might be that there are other cues and other sort of um, sensory domains as well for different people. So there's the... Uh, inclusion of the energetic uh, resonances in the energy body and also in this fourth uh, aspect of, of the mindfulness the inclusion of the emotional resonances and we've said how an image may often not always but may often contain within it so to speak, will be pregnant with or reflect or express um, 
oftentimes multiple emotions. It's not just one emotion and quite subtle shades or many uh, aspects emotionally going on at once. The image images are often quite condensed, uh, rich, uh, multidimensional um, in many respects, but even multidimensional, multi-aspected, let's say, emotionally. So that in the mindfulness, one is um, aware of the emotional resonances, which might be plural and have very subtle shades um, of, the, of the image or with the image. And, and uh, again, with this richness, again, to, to reiterate, um, not necessary to spend, or rather it may not be necessary to spend a long time with an image, or certainly may not be necessary to go on some kind of journey through imaginal space or imaginal territories. Um, it may be that a brief image in one location, meditatively, is very, very rich. And it might take one uh, a long time to articulate all, the, all that richness and all that multidimensionality and multi-aspectedness uh, and the resonances emotionally, energetically and all that. Um, it may take one a long time to articulate that verbally, even if one was able to. Um, even from a brief image that's sort of uh, very rich that way. Okay, so that's the fourth aspect of uh, the mindfulness here. The sensitivity is the <clears throat> um, awareness, sensitivity of, and then also navigating possibilities um, regarding the emotional resonances and the en energy body resonances. Then a fifth um, aspect of in, of what's included in the mindfulness is is in relationships to thoughts, reactions, views. And we've talked a little bit about this, but just to spell it out uh, and, and uh, go through again uh, or in more detail. Uh, careful, again, it depends on the conceptual framework, but I, I would say for our purposes or for, the, for what, uh, if you like, I would regard as the most interesting direction here. Careful of the temptation to seek advice from an image. And we think, oh great, then I can, this person can tell me what to do in my life or something like that. I'm going to return to this point. But I would just say, notice if the orientation or if the stance to an image is, ah, here's my fairy godmother or here's the wise old um, sage or whatever who's going to tell me what to do in this situation in my life or, or something like that. Um, for our purpose, I would say, or rather what I would like to emphasize is, generally speaking, we're more interested in the resonances, as I said. That's much more interested than getting advice and using it for the sake of the ego and the ego's journey. Um, and also uh, to, to notice and to take a little care, um, just to notice if there's a tendency to want to, um, in, in my view of the image at any time, in the conceptual frame, it might, might be implicit, might, might not be obvious, to reduce this image to it's just a sort of result of my history. What happened to me in my childhood or um, some, something else from the past. Um, just to notice if that kind of thing is going on. It's not that it's wrong um, at all. And sometimes, of course, an image does come from that. It's very related to that. All these things, our history and the image and our unfolding, it all mirrors each other uh, in a more complex way than simple causality would, uh, a simple view of causality would tend to um, allow us to conceive.
But just notice if there's a tendency in the view to want to reduce it perhaps to just something, uh, a result of my history, or to view it purely liter literally, uh, as a, oh, it means this, or it means exactly what it looks like. Um, this wanderer means, you know, go wandering or whatever. Or to reduce it in the sense of it represents, oh, that represents meta, or it represents my um, strength or some other psychological concept or force. Uh, and we're kind of boxing it in, shrinking all the complexity and multidimensionality that's in an, in an image, shrinking it into some concept, whether it's a Dharma concept or a psychological concept or whatever. So to notice if, if that tendency arises at any time and just to take a little care with that. It's, again, it's not wrong. It's just, in a way, might not be that interesting in terms of what then unfolds. And similarly, with regard to the thoughts, reaction views, to take care that we don't, we're not harboring a view that the sort of more outlandish the image, the better. The more sort of far out, uh, some of these things can sound really amazing when we relate them to others um, or, or to ourselves. But, uh, but actually, that's not necessarily that important. What's, again, what's much more important is the relationship with the image. This, everything hinges on the relationship. The relationship is what matters almost more than anything else, more than anything else. And that included in that means the sensitivity to the resonances, of, as we've spoken about, um, in emotion and in the energy body and in the, so to speak, the psychic resonances, the soul resonances, the resonances for the soul in terms of meaningfulness. That's what matters, the, the relationship with, um, not actually the... Uh, what the image is itself. And then an, another thing that's worth saying is sometimes in working with images, actually in the meditation, it's really okay um, if there's a, a little bit of light reflection going on around the whole conceptuality of what an image is or the framework or a little bit of intellectual um, uh, conceiving sort of re reflection or chewing over at times. So it's not so often in meditation, oh, that's terrible, thinking is terrible, or get away from the intellect or whatever. It's certainly not the, uh, you know, we don't want to be just, just thinking, absolutely. But at times, that sort of shifting of a conceptual framework happens through some light thought, or thoughts just arise in relationship to the whole way of conceiving. And that can be really, really fruitful. So don't just slam the door shut on that all the time. And again, it's part of navigating. You can sometimes allow that in and sometimes have less of that. Uh, again, and we've said this before, notice if <clears throat> the mental reaction tends to um, just assign an image or an imaginal figure to a character and make a kind of stereotype out of it, oh, that's the warrior or whatever it is. Um, uh, it, it will kill the aliveness of the image. So we, what, we, what we really want is to let this image allow it give it um, enough respect that it can really be alive. It's not just um, an instance of a category. It's not just to be labeled and then the sensitivity and relationship to it lost. And in a way, that's part of saying um, uh, to 
keep playing and keep responsive in the practice. It's so important in meditation in general, um, but also in in imaginal practice, perhaps uh, even more. Um, There's... I might be going through these lists of seven things you can try or this other things you can look out for, one, two, three, four, five, whatever it is. Um, fine, that's all good. But in a way, these are just pointers. Um, much better if you can really allow yourself to kind of improvise with all this. And rather than regarding it as formulaic, to be playful, to be responsive, to try different things. And you may come up, and I hope you do, come up with ways of working that I, I haven't... Uh, suggested or you've not heard me say or perhaps I haven't even come across myself that would be wonderful but in this fifth um, aspect of the mindfulness about thoughts, reactions, views again to reiterate always um, the conceptual framework the view, the way of looking makes a difference to what occurs uh, imaginally what's allowed to occur and how it unfolds so there's a lot of power uh, contained in the conceptual framework, the view, the way of looking. That really makes a difference. Okay, the sixth um, aspect of the mindfulness or, or, or possible, possible thread here, um, and I'm, I'm going to talk more about this, but let's say a little bit now. I'll talk more about perhaps tomorrow. Or, um, is asking the image... What do you want? In other words, um, what does this imaginal figure want? Um, Now, that may not be necessarily a literal question. You don't actually have to speak that question. But it's something about the attitude and orientation and relationship with it. Um, Turning it around from what can this image give me? What can I get from it? What can it do for me? Turning that around, I'm going to speak much more about this as we go on. What do you want? Um, And so, uh, as I said, it may not be literal, there may not be a verbal answer to that or anything. It's more um, sense approaching the image um, and being open to sensing perhaps or intuiting some kind of intentionality behind this image, some perhaps even a demand something it wants, um, a meaningfulness that's wrapped up, part of the meaningfulness that's wrapped up in the image. What do you want? Now, of course, implied in turning, turning, having that kind of stance in relation to the image and asking it what it wants and honoring that is um, a trust. And again, I'll speak more about this, but it's implying that I... I trust in that moment. I'm entering into or um, encouraging or adopting an attitude of trust in relation to this image. I trust it and I trust its intentionality and what it wants. I'm trusting that it's benign, even though it might look like this crazy warrior raging and bellowing fire or whatever it is, um, or something else, or some, some... a very strangely erotic image or whatever, I'm trusting it, and I'm trusting that it's benign, or better word, benevolent, the etymology of that word, benevolence, um, to, to, it wants what is good. It, so like well-wishing, it wants these images are benevolent, and can I um, uh, play, at, actually, play with an attitude of trusting them? And that helps me turn the stance around and ask, what do you want? 
And and what this imaginal figure wants, it may just want to be seen, to be known, to be witnessed. It may just want to be acknowledged, to be honoured, to be given a place, to be uh, respected, and yes, honoured. Uh, maybe that's even more, maybe it wants uh, its holiness and its sacredness to be seen, or even its necessity to be acknowledged. So it can be all kinds of subtle uh, aspects of what it wants. It may be more than that, or something different than that. It may be that it wants this imaginal figure, or object, or whatever it is, wants to be expressed in some way in, in one's life. It wants that your life expresses this imaginal figure in some way. Now, again, it doesn't necessarily, in fact, usually that won't be literally or concretely. In other words, something can be expressed without anyone else uh, ha- having any sense of it sometimes, or without it having a, a literal um, correspondence with the image, etc. And can be expressed without that being visible to anyone else, or tangible to anyone else. Sometimes, in fact quite often, and this is important, sometimes an imaginal figure that comes to us has a different perspective, if you like, than the ego or than our normal perspective, either on ourselves or on things or the world or a situation or others or whatever. And so they have this, they embody and they express and they have a different perspective than normal or our normal, and this is actually the important thing about, this is the important aspect of the image, and this is what it's wanting, if you like, to show us, or or wanting to to initiate us into. So, obvious examples of that would be, for instance, Kuan Yin, or Avalokiteshvara, as the Bodhisattva of compassion, has a different perspective than the ego's normal perspective. It's a non-ego perspective of universal compassion, universal love. It's seeing through different eyes, and it wants us to know that and honor it and recognize it. It wants us, if you like, to um, enter into that, perhaps. So those would be more obvious manifestations of different perspectives. But there may be... uh, for us, less obvious, less obvious ones. So we talked about, or I talked about, um, the uh, my interest in opening the range of of the, what what is our usual emotional range, for instance, opening the range of our usual um, psychological range, opening the range of um, uh, the range of the self and its self-expression. So through, because images are, are different, are autonomous, we cannot just regard them as self, um, opening to their different perspective, recognizing, honoring, getting a sense of the different perspective that any image might have, also opens our range beyond the uh, more tightly circumscribed usual range that we might have. And again, in, in, in this uh, what could be a very subtle questioning or, or, or stance, what do you want? It may be that it's really about the love, that uh, the, the image is um, wanting to express or manifest or enter into or allow 
um, loved in all kinds of different ways. I'm going to talk more about this um, uh, perhaps tomorrow. Um, it, it's more about the love, and we sense that's what it's um, wanting um, in, in many different possibilities. Many different possibilities here. Uh, it could be then, uh, for example, that we enter into an image and interact with the image. That that's what it wants. This image, this imaginal figure. It wants us to interact with it, and how? Again, uh, we can interact in all kinds of ways. It's not necessarily that dialogue at all is is the um, the appropriate way to, or the best way to interact with a particular image. And if it's more interaction that has to do with love, and if love is the sense of this is really the most important aspect going on, or one of the most important aspects going on at any time, then, uh, again, we want, we want the sensitivity to the particular quality or kind of love. Because love has a lot of different, um, there's a lot of range in the kinds of love and the, the kinds of quality of love that there are. So what is the particular quality of the love that is um, seems so central in, in this image and with this imaginal figure. It, it may be just universal meta or compassion or something, but it may not be that. It may be much more um, uh, as a personal and uh, particular, or, or there's all kinds of possibilities there. I remember um, not, not too long ago, I was doing walking meditation on the lawn here. And uh, actually, again, I heard the bird song and a beautiful bird song around me as I was walking outside. And uh, the bird song reminded me, made me think um, of this, uh, one of my favorite jazz musicians, Eric Dolphy. He <clears throat> was active in the late 50s and, and the early 60s before he died in 1964. Um, and a beautiful, beautiful uh, musician, but quite associated with the um, sort of avant-garde at that time. So he played alto sax and bass clarinet and flute and really, um, really stretching the limits of, of, the, of, of jazz and, and the jazz vocabulary and, and beautiful spirit and, and quite um, out there um, uh, in, in, in his explorations and what was coming through him. And I was uh, hearing the bird song just reminded... Um, of of Eric Eric Dolphy, uh, he used to take his flute to the uh, ocean side in California and sit on the rocks or um, and play um, with the birds. So different birds would would be there near the ocean, and he would they would be singing, and he was such a virtuoso on the flute and improvising. He would mimic and and play back and forth with the birds, and they would <laughs> gather around him and uh, uh, be beautiful. Um, image in itself. Um, and so I hear the bird song, I'm doing the walking, I hear the bird song and suddenly remember this story about Eric Dolphy uh, playing with the birds. And then suddenly, very suddenly, I spontaneously imagine, it just comes as an image that he's visiting, so to speak, from death, if you like. Um, and, he, and he's just visiting for a short time. And we talk and I um, update him this is not really happening in real time with a sort of 
concretized dialogue, but but it's sort of what's implicit. And I update him a little about because um, he he played with John Coltrane and with another uh, bass player, Charlie Mingus, in another band. And I tell him a little bit because they two died um, after after him, John Coltrane, not too long later. And I update him on that and how and when they died, and also on what people said about him, about Eric Dolphy, and how highly he is regarded, um, especially by a lot of musicians, um, by so many people. And I think he wasn't really aware of that, or he was a very humble person. And so wanting to tell him that, wanting to communicate that to him. And I think at some point, perhaps I get the sense that our, our time is drawing to an end, that there's just a brief window of something and that he has to go, I don't know, back to the realm of death or something, whatever. And um, and I find myself just sort of, if you like, blurting out silently, Just I just ask him, oh, play something, will you play something? And... Um, so moved to uh, tears, actually, by, by this request of mine that just bubbles up and sort of emerges. Um, and with that, the sense of the, the preciousness of his music, the, the, the beauty of it, and the preciousness of his playing, and just wonder, I'll just play something, will you? So this is, this is to me, this was an interesting image. It was really uh, showing more than anything else, the image seemed to be about loving him. That was, so the love from me to him was what was most important in this image. Um, and actually even caring for him. So it was, it was as if I wanted to take care of him physically now here. Um, and uh, actually what happened in 1964 was he was, I think, on tour in, in Germany, I think, and or living there for a while working as a musician. And he was a diabetic and he... Uh, don't know what happens with diabetes. He went into a coma because of the diabetes, because his sugar levels, insulin levels were, were wrong. And uh, what I heard is, is um, he was, because he was African-American and a jazz musician, the ambulance people came and they just assumed that he was strung out on heroin and they just left him. And I said, oh, he'll get over it. And he went into a coma and, um, and died. I don't know how much of that story is exactly true but um certainly he w it wasn't recognized that he was a diabetic and, and he he died and so partly and then the image came is this in this wanting to take care of him as if as if he would have another life or another chance or the same thing part of me wants to say wear a tag or a bracelet that says diabetic or diabetic type one or whatever it is and wear it in different languages and in german and the sense of something in me really wanting to to take care of him that was so <clears throat> Um, central to, to the image, this, this, this loving him and, and this immensely deep gratitude um, to him, for him, for what came through him for that manifestation. At one point, um, the, the love kind of flowed the other way as well because he reached out to me in the image and touched my heart center with his hand, with, with the palm of his hand very gently. And there was something um, sort of I don't know, it, re it reminded me of Jesus-like or something, or some kind of near or, near or Middle Eastern mystical esoteric blessing. It was full of love, this gesture, and the gentleness, and really like a blessing. He was blessing me. Really, really uh, beautiful and touching. And, and as this image, this is all just in, in a few minutes, really. Um, but as... Um, 
occasionally I would get an impulse to ask him for advice um, and uh, or, or uh, something like that. Um, even advice for the past when I used to be a jazz musician and someone like him as complete master could perhaps have um, uh, helped me or uh, sympathized at least with my, my uh struggling to gain mastery um, or advice in relation to work now and creative work now or whatever. But, but immediately that, that sort of attitude came up. I, I sensed immediately that that's not the point of this image. It felt not right. That wouldn't be the right steering, the orientation to ask for advice or whatever. Um, the whole feel of it when that arose, um, to, the orientation of getting something from him when that arose or advice or whatever, um, it somehow felt off. Something was stuck or, or not quite alive. And that, that indicated to me that's not, that's not right very, very quickly. So if you like the, the simpler orientation and to the mind, perhaps more puzzling, of, of just loving him, the simpler just loving him, just the gratitude flowing forth, um, the flow going the other way from me to him, um, that felt really, really right. There was something right about that, beautiful and right. I mean, what was really central then in that image, in other words, was the love and particularly my loving him and my, my gratitude, very, uh, very, very beautiful and, and soul-making, if we use that word again. So this sixth um, thread, if you like, is, is in the stance, in the attitude and relationship with the image. What do you want? And then uh, seventh uh, aspect or, or possibility here with, with the uh, mindful work with the images is, in a way, we could delineate um, three possibilities in terms of the, the stance with, with regard to the imaginal figure. Um, it can be that you uh, in the meditation are beholding this figure or this angel you're seeing or, or gazing at this figure or angel and just kind of feeling the resonances as you do that and stewing with that, cooking with that a little bit. It could be that you, or another possibility is that you enter into um, and enter into this figure or this angel or daemon or whatever we want to call it. Um, and actually feel them from the inside as if you identify with them. I hope I can find another word at some point because I don't mean the ego identifying with that in a tight way. I mean entering into, let's say. And there are actually some tricks, a little few tricks you can play. Sometimes that just happens. Sometimes we just intend it to happen. But gazing into their eyes, sometimes uh, that helps uh, if, if in, in, in order to enter in. Sometimes... Um, <clears throat> Imagining your energy body mimicking the movement in the body of the imaginal figure. So if they're, for instance, dancing in a certain way or whatever, you imagine dancing or you feel how it feels for them <clears throat> to dance in that way. Feel that in the energy body. And that helps us enter. And then curiously, um, I have no idea why this works, but um, giving attention to the small of their back and like attending to that and feeling the small feeling that um, entering into that in the imagination also allows us to enter in sometimes uh, to them so there's the I behold the angel the daemon the imaginal figure I look and gaze at them with the resonances or I enter into them into their body into their experience seeing uh, through their eyes or 
I am uh, more attending to th- this feeling of being seen by this angel, by this imaginal figure or daemon. Um, really noticing, oh, they are looking at me, they are gazing at me in a certain way. <clears throat> I'm seen by them, and I really feel, I tune into how are they seeing me? How are they looking at me? So that's a third possibility, and it could be, it could be a combination of those. <clears throat> so these are just some pointers that could be um, helpful, uh, some of them indispensable, some of them um, just possibilities that are helpful within the imaginal practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.